You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hey, Melissa. Hey, Elisa. It's episode 411 of We Don't Know What the Heck We're Going to Talk About, Geekiest <laughs> Show Ever. Funny that it's the 411 and we have no 411. Because <laughs> we're nerds. Yeah, there's just, I don't know, nothing really floating our boat this week. Yeah, and it's not like there isn't stuff out there, but it's all CES, and it's all yeah. Apple Vision Pro, and it's all nothing we're really interested in. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I look at a little bit of the CES stuff, but it's all, most of it is like stuff that we can't afford or can't even buy if we could afford it. Um I mean, that maybe not, I haven't gotten through all the articles and all the videos and people are still publishing stuff. So I dip in and I check it out once in a while, but yeah, nothing that really interests me too much. Yeah. And I know uh, in February, the Vision Pro is coming out and I so don't care. <laughs> I, I care to see what people say about it, but I personally wouldn't want one in my home only because I just, I want to see, I'll watch all the other, you know, bleeding edge early adopters try it out because that's what they do. That's their jam. But I have concerns. I have concerns about the health and safety of it, which, you know, I'm sure Apple isn't all that kind of stuff. But and I usually, I normally trust Apple about that stuff. But I'm, I have my reservations about this, about any kind of headset that you put on your eyeballs, I just think we're asking for trouble when it comes to that. Yeah. I, I did see some articles about neck pain because it's heavy. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. already have neck pain. I don't need that. Right. That's that's my first that's my first thought. And I'm thinking, you know, all these people out here who are really gung ho into trying it out, like, hey, good luck, have fun with it. It must be nice to not have any kind of cervical issues with your spine. So go for it. But I I hope they don't end up with neck pain because of it. I don't know, like what is so I can see from uh from accessibility or people with disabilities, I can see how it would be good. Um, you know, if you've got somebody who maybe a paraplegic or, you know, I, I'm sure that there are going to be, there's going to be as many health implications as there could be maybe health benefits depending on the situation. I think it's going to be a, a risks versus benefits scenario. There's got to be enough benefits to counteract the risks of having something that close to your eyes, your brain, your head. Um, and I am not one of those people who's like, oh, 5G is going to, you know, damage us in some way. I am not, I'm not, I don't believe that necessarily. I do believe in the science that, I mean, you know, there was reports about, I think it was the iPhone 12. I mean, it's just the 12, not the 12 mini or anything. But I guess in France, there was, they have a bit of a higher threshold for radiation when it comes to holding a phone up against your, your skull. And there were some concerns about that. And then Apple was like, poof, here's a, here's a firmware update or here's a software update and fix that. Okay, well, that just proves that I guess there, if there's problems, they can self-adjust for it later on. But yeah, that, I don't know. I'm not going to poo-poo it completely. There's, I, I think that there's applications for it. And I'll, I will look forward to seeing what people have to say about it. I think that part's exciting. It's just not for me. But I'll watch, every, mm -hmm. I'll watch other people play around with it. 
Um, I mean, you know, when I watch Iron Man and I see him like doing, you know, the whole like swiping in the air, the whole air, air OS, you know, where you're just swiping things in the air and he's just got that, I got like just an ocular thing or, you know, that's kind of cool, but I can't see like wearing a visor all the time. It just think it, we're already so cut off from each other socially. I mean, we're already, <laughs> we already have phones in front of our faces all the time. Like we're always interfacing with a computer like we are now, which is good for people like us who are on opposite ends of the country. But what's going to happen to people who are in the same room with each other? What's going to happen to kids playing with those things? It just, I'm skeptical, I will say. I have a healthy dose of skepticism. Mm. But, I mean, it's technology and whatever comes of it will further advance other things. So, you know, there's going to be good that will come out of it. I'm not going to say it's all doom and gloom. And I don't I don't believe that. I think there's going to be we're going to discover other things about it. And I, when I look at it, when I look at the design of it now, I think this is like the quick wheel, the click wheel iPod. You know how it's kind of like chunky. Like if you look at a quick click wheel why can't I say that? Click wheel iPod. It's really thick and chunky and it's got that big wheel. I think that eventually we'll look back on on this day and think, oh, remember when the when the vi it was a visor and now it's just like this ocular implant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Just put on your sunglasses and you can see everything you need to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, Google know. Google Glass was kind of a flop. So I'm not saying that this is gonna flop like that, but it, it could, you know, it just depends on what the people want. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure we'll it see. out. Yeah, we'll see. So I do want to make a little PSA before we go yes, further. Please. I got an email today from Apple. So this is for the people who have the Apple savings account. They are not going to send you your 1099 statement of all the interest you accumulated over the 2023 unless you specifically already asked them for it or you call an 800 number and ask them for it. So you need to print out that document yourself so you can do your taxes, which I have already done. You've so already done your taxes? No, 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 no. I've oh. printed out the document. Oh, I was going to say. Document. I haven't yeah. gotten all my documents yet. Yeah, yeah. So in order to get there, you would click on your card. You go up, open up your Apple wallet, click on your card, click on where it says savings account. And then in the upper right corner is a circle with three dots. Click on that. Then click on documents. And then, then you'll see two um, sections. One will be your statements and one says tax documents. And if you click on tax documents, mine says 1099 interest, 2023, January 1st to December 31st, 2023. And then when you click on that, it will use face ID or touch ID to open and then you can print it out from there. Or you can go to the lower left corner and tap on the share icon that looks like a square with an arrow mm -hmm. pointing upwards and then save it to your files. Now, while we're talking about this for people who are following along, if you don't see save to files, I'm not sure if that's one of the default things in the share sheet. That's what we're looking at right now that's popped up if you've tapped that share button. If you didn't, go do it now. Uh, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, there's blue text that says edit actions. And then you can press the plus sign or tap the plus sign to move things up to the top section in the favorites. And then if you notice the three little lines to the right, you can click to drag and move those in the order that you desire them to be in. So for example, um, I can add 
say, a speak body of article. That would be a helpful one to have if you want it to read something to you. Um, so a save files is not in that top favorite section. Go ahead and add it to that. And then tap done in the upper right-hand corner. And then when you want to go to save that to the files, uh, it looks like it's already going to be a PDF, I'm guessing. Like it's already in PDF format. Yes, it format. is a PDF. It is. And it's called 1099-INT-2023-TAX-FORM. And then you're going to navigate to a folder because I'm just going to do this while we're doing this. And I have a finance folder in my iCloud folder. And I have that favorited also. So I'm just going to save it to finances and then taxes. And then 2023. 2023 taxes. I already have one for 2024, but this is for 2023. And now I've got it saved. I also, uh, we were talking about this pre-show, I also created a reminder earlier to go in and save that. And so now I can check off that reminder. I have a, a whole finance reminders list that's just for financial stuff. And then I have tags. So, oh, look at that. And I can check it off because I did it. Now it's in my tax prep folder and I didn't have to print it out. But you can if you want to. In fact, I guess you you are going to have to print it if you go like we do to a CPA because um, mm -hmm. we give her. We can either do it one of two ways. I guess we could print it and take it to her or we could upload it to the Dropbox that she has for us. Do you go yeah, to a CPA I, to do your taxes? I go to a CPA and I have everything printed out and I just hand them a folder mm -hmm. and we go over things. You know, what about this? What about this? And yeah. then he does the taxes and mm -hmm. that's that files them electronically mine's a little bit more complicated because of running a small business so i have a schedule c to file and i have to take quite a bit of time going through all of my stuff that's one thing i wish that i could get better at i really need to because i'm just a one person thing you know like i'm my own bookkeeper my own scheduler i do all that stuff myself um there are some apps that i do have sitting on my phone that i do want to try out there's a uh, money. I think it's made by Jumpsoft, and there's one called um, Fresh. Is it, it's not Fresh Books. It's uh, what is it called? In finance, and there are Mac apps for it too. But like, I go through this every year where I end up having to spend several days creating a finance report because I have to. I have everything. Like, I have everything on my between my computer and my phone. It's all there. I just have to go and like put it together. I have to go and calculate all of my mileage because I'm not good at keeping track of it as I do it. I mean, that's not true. I keep track of it as I do it, but I need to like compile a report. So I have to go back and, and get it. So I have to go through my calendar and I, I don't know. Every year, like I, I add something new. It's like, oh, duh. Why didn't I just, you know, I, I go drive to the same clients all the time, mostly. Um, I have my client notes organized a lot better than I used to. And now it just dawned on me that I should just put what the mileage is, the round trip mileage at the top of that note because it's always there. And then I'd have one place to look for it. So every year I kind of hone some kind of aspect of my of my business and my record keeping. But my goal this year will be to, I mean, it's January, so it's not necessarily a resolution, but January is all that, always that time where it's like a fresh slate you know, it's like the new the new year and you think about what are you going to do differently? What I always think like what irritated me so much last year that, that, you know, I just end up letting go. And this year I want to 
get into tracking my finances in an app as opposed to going and downloading every single spreadsheet and doing it that way. So that's what I'm going to be working on. There's there's some finance apps that I'm going to be playing around with and see which one wins. So I'll report back. So on if we that. have any listeners that use those kind of apps at the end of the show, we'll tell you how to get in touch with us. Help Melissa out. Yeah, I would love to hear what people use. I mean, I have heard people use certain apps, but the, the issue is always going to be about the cost because some of them can get really expensive. And you got to remember, I am just a very small, you know, sole proprietor. I'm just a small business, very small potatoes. I don't need something that's got all these other things and these other add-ons and stuff. I mean, the, 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 the sticky part is, and from what I have used so far, you do have to, um, how should I say this? There's like, there's a platform, I think it's called MX or Plaid or, if you've ever used QuickBooks or something from Intuit or Mint or something like that, when you engage in these apps, you can do it one of two ways. Either you go and download your own records. Um, I mean, we're talking about, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking to the people who are still using paper bank statements. This is for people like me who have just gone and done all of their banking online. You got to figure like your stuff is out there already. It's already online. Even if you are the type of person who only wants paper statements because you don't trust online banking, well, guess what? Your banking is already online. The only difference is when you engage with online banking, you're just asking for access to what's already online. You know, all of your stuff is already on the internet. Whether you access it or not, the bank is managing it with online tools. And so you're just gaining access to it instead of waiting for a paper statement to come in the mail each time, or, you know, using paper checks, you can gain access to it sooner than you would if having to wait for all of that stuff to come through in the mail. So that's the way that I look at it. Um, and then what I'm still kind of working on getting over is the fact that let's say, for example, um, one of the apps I tried out and actually multiples, um, I got to a point where I kind of stopped because I wanted to think about it for longer and I wanted to research it more. And the little bit of research that I did do, and I'll go deeper into this later on, is that when, say, for example, I'm, I've been using all year long, I've been using my Apple card. In fact, I've only been using two cards, my Apple card and my Discover card. And we've talked about this in the past about, you know, perks and points and percentages and all of that kind of stuff. And I've also talked about several times how I really wish that Apple would make it so that you can manage your transactions and rename them or at least put a memo in the field. And I've even written to Apple about it, you know, asking for that feature. I don't know how many times I can do it before, you know, before they say you cannot ask anymore. Uh, <laughs> but what I want to do is I want to be able to manage the transactions. I want to be able to manage the memo. I want to see I want to say, okay, I went to the store and I bought, you know, this thing, but the description might just be the store and that's it. It doesn't tell me like what it was that I, that I spent the money on. I want to be able to say, you know, I went and I bought say like something for my business. I bought screen protectors and I bought software or, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I mean, the software, you can tell what it is, but there's a lot of times where you go to the store and you get things and it's just the store and you really would like to say, I bought this, this, and this and then tag it as a business expense, right? I want to be able to do that just within the Apple Wallet app. You know, why can't, like, wouldn't that be an awesome feature to have? 
And so for so it is now you have to use a third party app. And so what happens is these third party apps, the fee that they're charging you is in part like their fee that they're paying to utilize um, something called, like I said, Plaid or MX. And what those are is there's some kind of a payment or a transaction aggregator. So you have to basically give permission to the bank to log in on your behalf and then they'll give you all of the transactions and feed it into the app. So for example, I went to set up the Apple card in the app and because of the way that the Apple card works, you can only get month by month statements. Like right now you can download your, just like you were giving us instructions on how to get to the document section, you can download your Apple card transactions from the wallet app and you can download it as either or both a PDF file or a numbers spreadsheet file. That's what I'm doing right now. Cause yeah. that's what I was thinking. Could uh -huh. you just export it to numbers and you then can. add an extra column you that can. you could tag it with business expenses? Or right. So, I mean, that's what I'm ultimately, needed. that's what ultimately I'm, I'm going to do. And I do that with everything. I do that with discover. I go online, I download, I think it's a, um, you can either choose like a QuickBooks uh, QB, I want to say there's there's different file yeah, formats. There's you can Open Financial Exchange, yes, which is OFX. There's mm -hmm. Quicken Financial Exchange, which right. is QVX, uh, QFX, and QuickBooks, which is QBO mm -hmm. or comma separated values. Right. CSV. So the CSV is for the rest of us that don't use those particular apps. So those are their. Um, those are the platforms and those are the file types that you can import into the different finance apps. And what I typically do, because I'm not using a finance app yet, but I would like to. But in the meantime, I am just working with spreadsheets. So I'm just downloading them. But then like it's such a pain to have to go and like format them and, you know, say Discover might have their columns in this way, in this order, and they have the date on the left. And then I download the bank and it's like the dates, the second column over or, you know what I mean? Like you have to you have to reorder the columns and you have to like format all of that stuff. And so I end up, you know, when I do my finance report, I have a workbook that has multiple sheets. So there's a sheet for each one of the credit cards, each one of the bank uh, accounts. So say, for example, my business checking and our personal checking. And then uh, I try not to cross the streams as much as possible. I really try to keep everything separate. Um, but say I took money out of my business and put it into savings, you know. That kind of stuff. And so, uh, but like say Discover, I use Discover only when there's a perk when you get that 5% cash back. And that's typically around Black Friday. So that's why I always wait till Black Friday to get my tech stuff because you get it in before the end of the year. So it still counts for that that tax year. Um, but then I use that to go through and figure out what, what business expenses, you know, what's your personal and what's your business expenses. So I am doing like the spreadsheet thing. But that's what I'm saying. Like, that's so much work. But if you use an, a finance app, like Money or, or one of these other apps, what you end up having to do is you have to pay, uh, you can either do a monthly fee or an annual fee. And you have to give permission to a service, like kind of a service provider to say, hey, go log into this bank and bring all of my transaction data into this app, like import it in there. And some of them do it okay. And some of them like, you know, you might, that's why they give you like a month and they give you a trial and things because sometimes not all the banks or all the credit cards play nicely with it. 
So, you know, there's an evaluation period that you have to go through and try to figure out, okay, well, what about my mortgage? Like, what if I want, what if I want to connect my mortgage so I can see, you know, if I want to make a budget, I want to see the amortization schedule and things like that. So, or say your investments, um, we don't have a lot of investments, you know, besides our retirement. And that's something where I don't really want to go through the trouble to bring that into an app. I'll just go and look at it on the website. Um, but for my individual transactions, just for the purposes of tracking expenses, because I like to make the pie chart, you know, the graphs and things like that. Um, so that's what I want to use a money app that will, sure, you can do it in numbers, but you have to roll your own. You have to like, you know, basically invent it all on your own. Whereas an app, they've already done all that legwork for you. And that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the convenience of that. So that's something that I do want to investigate. I've been wanting to, it's just one of those things that keeps me up at night, like, oh, I wish I could carve out time to go play with that because I do. I really, I think information can be beautiful and, it, you know, there's no reason why it has to be boring and I think it could be super helpful and it helps you make decisions. So it's really critical to get your head wrapped around that kind of stuff. So that's, that's what I want to do um, as far as the new things that I want to play with. We also talked about paprika. I did get that and that's on my list of stuff to play with too. Again, it's another one of those like database type things. I just really yeah. like databases. I'm just so lazy. I have. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so lazy. <laughs> and it really shouldn't be hard because if you open up. It's not hard. Up, it's just time consuming. It's just, it's well, an, it's an it investment already, of time on the front. It already end. has. Okay. So if I click on recipes and I hit the plus sign. Nope. That's not what I want. Where did it go? Um. Yeah, like find me, see, my problem with, with this is, you know, recipes, I just personally, personally, I, I just eat for nutrition. I just, I can like have a meal and just stand there at the fridge, you know, eating carrots or something because I'm just eating just to feed myself some nutrition. I personally just don't, it, it takes a lot for me. I really, really, really have to be in the mood to make a pretty meal you know, and something that's like following a recipe. Like my husband, he's the foodie. He's the one that digs that stuff. He loves looking at recipes and he likes trying new things and he will like geek out and, you know, watch YouTube videos about rubbing a chicken. You know, <laughs> like what kind of rub mm -hmm. and what kind of spices to put together, you know. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> but I mean, they, they have it so that it's relatively easy. If you go on Paprika, if you, it'll say, um, like for downloading, right. it gives you I'm recommended sites, on. recommended sites, all mm -hmm. recipes, America's Test Kitchen, Betty mm -hmm. Crocker, Bon Appetit, et cetera, et cetera. So if I went to all recipes, I'm going to click on that. And what pops up is grandma's best casseroles. Um, but so find me can... something gluten-free. That's that's the problem that I always face. Everything's always got gluten in or it's well, like full let's, of dairy. Let's, let's click on this and do gluten Free. So if I go to recipes and I do a search. Okay, for... so here's gluten-free sugar cookies. So oh. let me click on that. And then at the bottom of the, of the screen, um, so I'm in all recipes within Paprika, but at the bottom of the screen it says download. So I'm going to click on the download button. And what it's doing is it just added that recipe to my Paprika, the picture of it, hmm. the information as far as it takes 20 minutes to prep it, 10 minutes to cook it all the ingredients, and it has a separate section with all the directions on it. There's a section underneath with notes. So like if you make this recipe, you want to make a note that says a little more sugar, a little less sugar. Hmm. If it says cook 10 minutes, maybe you need to be cooking 12 minutes. 
You can also put it under a category. Right now, it's uncategorized, but you can add a category of cookies or baked goods. So, so far, I've only just... gotten to Google, and I don't think I'm doing this right. Did you just okay, Google the so, recipe? Nope. Let me go back to the beginning. Go, go back to okay. the main menu. and Okay. In the upper Under left, the main menu, recipes. it says browser. Yes. Okay. Okay. So click on browser. Mm-hmm. Let me go back to the beginning it here. It just takes me to Google. No, it says getting started, and it says Paprika's built-in web browser lets you search the internet for recipes to download. So there's a place for recipes that says Google recipe research. So if you wanted to make sugar cookies, you could just type in sugar cookies. But if you scroll further up, it says recommended sites, and it has popular, all recipes, Betty Crocker, Cook's Country, Cook's Illustrated. still stuck in Google for some reason. No. And then it's got uh, other sections, lifestyle and family, family circle, still not seeing good that. housekeeping. Do I have to go into settings? Like in the main no. menu, you know how there's there's two, three little the hamburger menu in the upper left hand corner. All right, so you don't see you don't see this. I'm all recipes right here. I'm showing Melissa the. So if you just go like I, this, do I you see did that? see that, but now I can't get back to it. Hit the back button on the bottom left. Okay. All right. Paprika getting started. Right. Okay. And then so I go all the way down to all recipes. Yes. Okay. All recipes. Ah, see. All right. Grandma's best and that will Yep. And then that will take you to that particular website. And then you can do a search and for whatever you're looking for. And you don't have to be logged for. into it? No. All right. So I'm going to Just do a search for screen. whatever it is you're looking for. You're looking for a new chicken dish. You're looking for <laughs> a new uh, new way to cook fish. Do a search, and then when you click the download button, it will import that recipe into Paprika, and then you can categorize it. I would like um, maybe gluten-free chicken or something. Yeah. So I just haven't taken the time to actually do anything. Because I really would like to plan meals, because we constantly run into this gluten-free chicken and sausage gumbo. Battered chicken and veggies. And it looks like you can bookmark sites. So if there's certain Mm -hmm. places that you like to go that have fantastic recipes, you can bookmark it. Gluten-free shake and bake almond chicken. Here we go. Gluten-free Thanksgiving stuffing. So then I tap download and it says it's downloading. Right. So it downloads into the app, separates Mm -hmm. it into directions, time it takes to prepare, the ingredients that you need, and then a place at the bottom for your notes so you can make any notes that you th- might need to make yeah, for that I'm particular recipe. Yeah, I'm making a uh, category because I'm going to put this under holidays since it's stuffing. Would that be a good category? Then what's parent? You can put it under Thanksgiving. You can put it under holiday. You can put it under bread. You can... I, I think you can put it under more than one category too. Yeah, like under categories... So now it says holiday and choose categories, but then, oh, so there's a parent, I guess a parent. So holiday would be probably the parent and then it would be like Thanksgiving. So I'm going to make the parent holiday and then the the category is going to be Thanksgiving because I could also put this under Christmas probably too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could do like if you had, uh, if you were a big fish eater, you could make the the, the parent fish. Mm-hmm. And then the category shrimp, mm-hmm. salmon, trout, 
whatever kind, you know, crab, whatever kind of fish you eat. Mm-hmm. And I saved it. So yeah, now same with baked see. goods. You could do baked goods and then categories for cakes, cookies, brownies. Oh, I pies. like how you can sort it as either a list or as icons. That's cool. See, now my husband and I are signed into the same account. So now he'll see this in his on his phone on his paprika. I wonder... I mean, that's the way I assume that you do it. We just, I just created an account and used our same, we have a shared email address that we use so that all the emails go to us both. Mm. What I really want to use this for is for groceries because I did, I think I did get it to say, um, let's see. Hey Siri, add sugar to the paprika list. No, so, okay, so that would be going to reminders. I think I, what is, I forget what the, what the spell is. That I'm Did you to notice say. there's also something where you can scale the ingredients? So if it says that it makes a recipe, it's a recipe, say for eight people. Oh, yeah. You don't, you don't want it that big. You only want it for three people. Oh, that's handy. You can, you can scale it down that's instead of having to handy. guess. You can pin things. You can pin it. Yeah. Yeah, somebody thought of everything with this, it looks like. Yeah, like I said, my, my one sister-in-law loves it. I only have two recipes in so far. Oh, you can add ingredients and add to so. my grocery list. I made a party grocery list. That's cool. So groceries. Now, where did it go? Oh, my grocery list. My party list. That's really neat because then once you added it, it shows you that it's gluten-free, that's Thanksgiving, and that's stuffing. Yeah. And you can also add things to pantry items. So you can look and see, I have ketchup, I have soy sauce, I have mustard. And it sorts it by aisle. Each ingredient is, is like, so in produce, there's celery, chopped fresh sage, medium onions. Spices and seasonings is another aisle. Canned and jar goods is another aisle. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think this would be a lot of fun for my husband to use. And then under meal preps, we, we can add meals. That's what I want to do too. Will that set it up on your calendar, I wonder? Add recipe. Oh, there it is. I can add it and save it. And then export to calendar. That's cool. <laughs> Allow full access. You know, that's a little PSA, too, I want to mention that um, because I work with clients, I see this all the time. So many of my clients freeze when they get that message. Like, for example, I'm going to use I'm going to use this as an example because it's happening right now. It says Paprika 3 would like full access to your calendar. And then underneath it, it says for exporting meal plans. And then it has a little image of what my calendar looks like. And then it says... There are 3,488 events in the next year. Calendar events may include additional data such as locations, email addresses, or notes. And then your choices are allow full access or don't allow. And this is why people freeze because they don't read all of the stuff. All that they know is that blue text that says allow full access or don't allow. And their gut reaction and their knee-jerk reaction is just to tap don't allow. And so... 
I run into these problems all the time. These end up being little fires that I have to put out for clients because they can't understand why something isn't working. And nine times out of 10, it's because they didn't allow location or they didn't allow access. And this is one of those scenarios. So I could see how I could get, you know, a call from somebody saying, well, I, I, I've got this app and, you know, I want to be able to do this, but it won't let me. And we, you know, sure enough, we'll find out, well, you didn't give it full access. Well, why would I want to do that? You know, I don't want, I don't want Russian spies to see my, you know, I don't want the Chinese, you know, you hear all that kind of stuff. And it's like, no, that's not what, what's happening here. Um, like, for example, I use a calendar app called Calendars 5. And I remember they had to go and kind of like, uh, you know, white glove it and, and issue like a statement, like, you know, something to the effect of kind of like what I was saying, like, you know, if you want to use this, we're not spying on you. We're just asking you to give the app permission because Apple, you know, has put this kind of a stopgap in place, but you need to allow access if you want to be able to use the calendar. And so they kind of had to like calm people down, like, no, we're not spying on you. We just need the software to have access to it. Now, on the flip side, uh, I think that there are apps. I remember a while ago, what was it called? Clubhouse, I want to say. Something, there was an app, there was a social media app where they wanted access to your contacts. And that's one of the ones where I feel a little iffy about because they might want to be accessing your contacts because they want to upload it to a server so that they can crowdsource that information because they do want to, for lack of a better word, kind of like snoop on your data because once they take all that contact information, upload it to their servers, then they can use it for sharing to other things on their platform. And it's, it's all under the guise of it making it easier for you but what the consumer needs to know is when is this accessing your information for the purposes of synchronizing it up to a server that the app, uh, the developers rent or own, right? Versus when is it asking you for access from app to app and everything still stays on your phone? It doesn't leave your phone, you know, it doesn't get copied from your phone to somewhere else. So like I know, for example, and this is just how I am. If I'm using a social media app, when it comes to photos, I only allow specific photos. I will go in and tap manage. I don't, I do not tap allow full access to photos because in my mind, they don't need to have access to my whole entire photo library. They only need to have access to the specific photo that I'm wanting to share or a group of photos that I'm wanting to share at that time. And it's extra work, but I personally feel better when I do the extra work versus just letting the app have full access. So it's my photos and my contacts that that I take a little bit of issue with. Um, and calendar. And I remove I remove the EXIF data. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they don't need to know where I am. Right, right. If there's a switch that says "Don't share your location," then I don't share my location. But if it's an it's if it's the Maps app. Then yeah, I wanted to have access to my location because how else am I going to get driving directions? You know, so you have to be like picky and choosy about mm -hmm. what you share and and understand how it's how that data is going to be utilized, right? But see, that's the tricky part is like how how do you know? You know, even from this, um, it says allow full access. I'm willing to give it full access, but there's really nothing in here 
that that says, I mean, you know, they could be, I would think, I would, I would, I would think that they're being responsible and saying it's for exporting meal plans. That's the only purpose for giving access to your calendar, not because it's going to sync to an online server. You know what I mean? But really, I mean, how really would you know? Because there's nothing telling you in full detail in this message, at least, as to what what it's giving access to. So I've allowed it to export, but I wonder, is there something in, there must be something, you know, deep in the help section for, you know, or maybe on the website as to how it shares your data. And that goes back to, see, there's a privacy policy. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool that you can look at the privacy policy and see what it is actually um, information that they collect versus information that you provide to us. Uh, recipes, grocery lists, meal plans, menus, bookmarks, other data. So we'll have to read through. But that's the point is you need to read through all the fine print. And that's that's what creates a barrier sometimes to using these apps and services because you don't know just by looking at that message. You know, you kind of have to trust. And if you don't trust, then you can't really use the app. You can't really use that service or that feature of the app. So you really have to go in and dig a little bit deeper. That's the responsibility of the consumer to go and read all that fine print. Um, there was one, what did I, oh, when we bought our TV, I wanted to read through all of the fine print. And boy, do they make it, it's overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. It's like, oh, I just, I, so many people will just give up and just tap allow. And that's not what I'm advocating for. I don't say, well, you can't use a service, you don't tap allow. I'm saying, look at the fine print or ask somebody who knows what the fine print says. And that's usually where I come in because most of the Apple stuff, like I've already said, yes, you need to allow access to the Maps app and they're not selling your data. <laughs> now, if it was Google, on the other hand, you know, Google is is mining your stuff to sell ads. Um, so that kind of bothers me. So yeah, that'll be something to dig deeper in and find out exactly what they're doing with that. But my assumption right now on the face of it is that it's only for the purposes of exporting it to your calendar. They're not, and it's only one direction. They're not taking your calendar and all of your details because I put notes in my calendar entries, but I use iCloud. I don't, I don't use Google for that. Um, I, not to my knowledge, it doesn't look like they would have any reason for taking your calendar data and uploading it to their server and then parsing it for some reason. Does that make sense? What do you mm -hmm. think? Yeah. Are you willing to tap the allow all access button? I do a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm not really worried about it. Mm. I think I'm, I feel like I'm so far, I'm so far in, I'm so deep into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about an acceptable risk. How much acceptable risk are you willing to take on for the convenience of what the app feature is providing to you? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And if you're not willing to take the risk, then you're just going to have to not use that app. That's yep. your prerogative. Yeah. So uh, um, the other thing that was on my list is um, Mac Family Tree. And I still just, I, 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 I just feel like if I go and I touch it, um, you're not going to see me for a day. Yeah, <laughs> that's very, exactly how it is. What do you think it is? What do you think it is about genealogy that is so addictive? Because that's the word that I've heard many people For say. Me, that's that's what I it's always addictive. told you. It's addictive. Yeah. My it mom is. says the same thing. I always find, for me, if you look at my family tree, I don't have 
I hardly have anything about like my kids' generation, my <laughs> generation. I don't care. They can fend for themselves. <laughs> I'm not even interested so much in my parents. It's my grandparents and before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I find an old picture and I'm like, oh my God, I got yeah. hit pay dirt. I found this picture from 1930. I mean, <laughs> after, my died, yeah, after my father died, I was actually before he died, when I, we moved him into assisted living, I was going through the closets and I found my mother's photo albums. And I found pictures of her mother, not as a little girl, but as a young woman, and I was like, oh, I was so excited. I'm like yeah, scanning everything yeah. into my computer and I'm sending some to my brother. And he's like, why are you sending me this stuff? He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. Now you, I say, you've been doing this for how long? Like how long have you been using about genealogy apps? 25 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So what what sparked your interest? How did you get into this in the I first place? I don't remember. Huh. I don't remember. Huh. Was it like the, one of those deals where you found a box of photos and you're like, hmm, I wonder who this is. No. I wonder who this is. I bought, I remember when I first got Macs, I would see software and I'd say, mm-hmm. oh, that looks kind of interesting. Like I had software to make brochures. Mm-hmm. I had no reason to do it. Mm-hmm. I had no use. I had n- but I thought that's a, that's a cool yeah. looking app. Yeah. And so I bought it. So and maybe you were attracted no. to the interface. I found level? an app called, and I believe this is still in existence. It's called Reunion. Okay, I've heard of that. And that was the first app I used to make a family tree. Mm -hmm. And I used that for a while. And then I stopped. And I believe I was just on Ancestry, like on and off, on and off, on and off. And then I moved to Mac Family Tree, maybe version six. I Mm -hmm. don't remember. And now it's up to version 10, I think. It's up to version 10. It's a big... GUI change from version eight. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I, I know I told you this. I don't know if I talked about this on the show. The problem I was having with Mac Family Tree with version eight when I was on Monterey, right? That was Monterey, then Ventura, right? Yeah. Okay, when I was on Monterey, mm-hmm. yep. is I would go into the tree. And one of the things you can do is you can drag media into each person. So it could be a copy of a marriage license. It could be, you know, it, a photo, anything. It could be in JPEG, it could be in PDF, and I had both. And for some reason, and some of this stuff I got from newspapers.com and some I got from Ancestry, but it was mostly with newspapers.com, I would get this spinning wheel. I'm like, what the heck? No idea what this was from. I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm running Monterey and I'm running version eight. And version eight came out in 2016. So I was waiting for them to have their sale. They finally have their sale on version 10. I upgraded to version 10, and I also upgraded to Sonoma. And I thought, maybe this will make the problem go away. I would have thought the same thing. It did not. Mm. And I was back and forth with customer support, and they couldn't figure it out either. Mm. They could reproduce it, but they didn't know why, Mm. why it was happening. Thanks for taking one for the team. Yeah. So for some reason... What would happen is you'd see the little circle and underneath it might say, um, you know, Joe Smith, New York Times, January 1st, 1920. And one of two things would happen. Either I'd click on it and it would open into a new window, nothing's there. Or when it opened to a new window, there was the article. So I could open it via preview and resave it that way. Mm -hmm. 
Or sometimes what would happen is you could see the thumbnail, but when you click on the thumbnail, there's nothing there. So I have been spending my time going into newspapers.com for each person and then trying to find that article that I had downloaded God knows when and put it back into their their little file. Mm. It has been so... That's what I've been mm. doing. Like my eyeballs are... But like you said, three hours later, yeah. I hear... <laughs> I hear my, you know, I hear my husband going dinner. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. That's where my time went. <laughs> yeah. So I have no yeah. idea what happened. Somehow or mm. another, my database got damaged. Oh no. Oh no. So I have, I have no idea what happened. Wow. But Yikes. it's just very, it's fascinating. And the thing for you is you will be able to go further back than me. I'm doing Jewish genealogy. That's really hard. Is it? Oh, Our, yeah. Our family came over from Poland and Russia in the 1800s, the mm-hmm. late 1800s. So it's really hard for me to be able to go back. Mm-hmm. It's It's been hard for my mom, at least, um, going back through Italy, because our family came over, at least on her side, from Italy, from Italy. And then there was, yeah, it's just, it's so mixed up. There was a lot of, well, a lot of people died, you know, younger back then. And so there's remarriages and and things like that that just make the branches but you have family bibles <laughs> yeah there's yeah. church records uh, yeah it's, maybe. It's, it's easier maybe. it's easier to do that mm-hmm. than it is now yeah, i got so lucky a couple years ago this woman got in touch with me and she said she found my name on ancestry because i was related to her client hmm. her client asked her to do a full family tree for him Cool. So what she did is she emailed me and she gave me her credentials and a website I could check her out. And she said, if you have any stories, if you have any information, if you have any pictures based on your relationship with with my client, I would appreciate it. And in return, when I publish this, I will give you an abridged copy. Mm-hmm. You know, naturally, mm-hmm. I can't give you everything because he's paying me for this. Yeah, that was but the I other can send you. How do you share? I can, I can send you an abridged copy. Wow. So I sent her some stuff that I had, and then she would email me back thanking me and asking me like more specific questions. Mm-hmm. And we went back and forth a, a couple of times. And then I forgot about it. Oh. And then one day I get this package in the mail, and it was this book that she had published. Wow. With all these photos, I'm like, oh, wow, what a treasure. It was my, it was my mother's father's side of the family. Oh, and wow. so I'm taking pictures of the pictures and I'm like opening up my genealogy program. Yeah. And I'm, because I had all these names, but I had no information. I just yeah. knew, wow, that my great grandmother had these people as her siblings. Wow. Now I was able to put in born died and they were married to this person. Oh, they wow. had these kids. And I'm like, it took me days. Yeah, I'm that- like, <laughs> you know, type, type, type. I was so excited. That is cool. Yeah. So that was good. But you don't remember like what actually got you into it. Like, I don't. Like, I wonder, I wonder if it might have been one of your kids' projects because that's what no, sent my No, husband, my kids you know? never did that in yeah. school. Huh. What sent my husband down and, and I down a rabbit hole of it where we started to, that's where I that's where I realized just how addictive it can be was a, a a project for Spanish class. And I think it was our oldest. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And because it was several years ago and all it was, it was just something so simple 
they just wanted, you know, uh, they wanted the kids to learn the Spanish names for mother, father, aunt, uncle, cousins. And that was it. They just wanted really just like the first, you know, couple of branches on the tree. But of course, you know, we just, well, we got all these branches. Let's put these together. Let's put these together. <laughs> it's just on and on and on. And then next thing you know, we're on Facebook messaging family members, asking for information. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. I think it has something to do with just wanting to know your heritage, like wanting to know where you came from, or I don't know, maybe is it, is it like an existential crisis? Is it midlife crisis? Is it, is it something about identity or something? I, I don't know. Like, and now in my family, like I can appreciate how, how difficult it must be for, for Jewish ancestry for people to try to connect the dots. Um, like any, any type of, of immigration is really just really difficult because of all the name changes. I know, for example, like I, I keep telling people, I am just floored. I am just so flabbergasted to find out in my 40s that my grandfather's name that I've that I've grown up knowing is not his actual name, that his name was changed when he was a child. And to find out what it really is and, and to know that there's all these people that are named after him and, and they get the new Americanized name and not the original name. And that just, I don't know, rubs me was, the wrong way in ways, too. I was reading somebody's file yesterday, and it had um, a letter that he had written to a mutual cousin, and she forwarded it to me. I think she this was maybe 2012, he wrote it. And he, he's, he's passed since then. Uh, but he wrote to her that his name, his last name is slightly different than his father's name, last uh -huh. name. Uh -huh. And the reason is because he grew up with that same last name. But then when he became adult and he moved to central New York, because he grew up in Brooklyn, and he moved to central New York and got a job because of anti-Semitism, <gasps> yep. they recommended mm. that he mm. shorten his name. Mm. See, so it didn't sound so Jewish. Yeah, see, and that was what happened with the Italian family. It was too difficult to pronounce. So we'll just it make wasn't, it this. No, this was anti-Semitism. Oh, yeah, it I'm was sure. difficult to pronounce. Right. Because it was easy to pronounce. Right, right. It's just that it was a definite, this yeah. is a Jewish name. Yeah. But when he shortened it, it was just a generic name. Uh -huh. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Smith. his the mm -hmm. boss that uh, that hired him at this mm -hmm. company said, just to be safe, because he was mm -hmm. a a sales a traveling salesman, mm -hmm. and just to be safe. Yeah. And wow. so he shortened his name, and that mean uh, so his kids have that name. Yeah, and grandkids yeah, yeah, have that yeah. name now. So now it's the shortened name, but that's not the longer that's name. That's what bugs me about the whole thing, and that's what I think drives me to want to learn about genealogy is because of the erasure. You know, in in your family's case, it's the anti-Semitism that caused the erasure of that culture and those names, right? And you know, on my in my case in the Italian heritage, it's the oh well it's too difficult to pronounce or you're coming here. I mean, they could have been, you know, fleeing from Mussolini or something. You know, you're coming here, maybe you don't want to have, you know, such an Italian sounding name. You know, it's it's any kind of any kind of exclusion that that can cause and and the erasure, the erasure of of a of a family, of a history. And then it makes it so much harder to connect the dots. It's like they did that way back then, and the consequences are being felt later on because people aren't able to connect with their with their family, you know. And what's the point of it? Well, you want to know where you came from, and you want to 
try to maybe right a wrong in a way of people who were erased or made less than um, to maybe make people. It's about making something whole again, I think. It's about connecting the dots and bringing it back around to say, you know, something, some oppression may have tried to erase this family or this culture or these details, but I'm not going to let it happen. Like I want to, I want to make it go back on record, so to speak. That's kind of what, the, what I feel. And also in the Jewish religion, you name your children after someone who died. Right. Mm-hmm. And you'd name it after the first name and the middle name, different sides of the family. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. my first name, I am named after my mother's grandmother. And my middle name is after my father's grandmother. Wow. That's the They both they did both that died so in the 1950s. to keep it linked. They did that because they were being erased. They chose to do that to keep it linked. Like, you know, as if to say, like, you know, stand in the face of it. You may try to erase us, but we're going to name our children with such a way that. But it's not the same it. name. So, like, it wouldn't. A be, variation uh, of it? It would. No, not same first name, first mm-hmm. initial. So, if it was named after you, it uh-huh. wouldn't have to be the child that's named Melissa. It could be uh-huh. Mary or yeah. Marilyn it, or. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't even think of any other, you know, any other name that begins with an M. Mm-hmm. So it's the same initial. It wouldn't have to be another Melissa. Mm-hmm. I mean, Marissa, that kind of know. sort of ended up happening in my family. We're, we're not Jewish, but I have my my grandmother's name is Margaret or is, is, is Margaret and then Mary. So I was named Melissa. So they did want to keep the initials the same. But then I have her first name as my middle name. Is that similar to what, what you have as the Some shared of the boys. first name? Yeah. Some of the boys. I mean, I have mm-hmm. a great uncle name. His name is William Samuel. And mm-hmm. there's a... Um, like a one carryover. Sibling, one of the siblings named his son William. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I see that a lot in my family. I think that's that's very common amongst families. And then, of course, like, you know, we came along and we just decided to break tradition. And <laughs> I just wanted something different. I can see why people did it, though. But it's so confusing because then you have, you know, the the Tonys and the Antonys and the Anthonys and the. <laughs> What's and interesting, the though, when you and- when you do the ancestry subscription let that I have the all access, which includes newspapers dot com. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I look at some of these articles and I laugh. Yeah, I just laugh. like my my father's parents when they got married. They they the description. First of all, back then they put every person who attended. That's amazing. That is just yeah. amazing. So it's wow. not just that, you know, Melissa and Nate got married on such and such a date. It mm-hmm. was Annalise and Tom were there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kevin and Patty were there. And da, 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 all these different people were there. Wow. And so, the, of course, I'm dragging, you know, every time someone's name is mentioned, I'm just dragging it into their file. So it could be like 20 times I'm like dragging this yeah. newspaper article into somebody's file because their name was mentioned, uh-huh. which just shows more proof of a relationship. Right. But the description would be things like, um, Melissa is a very popular young lady, and 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 Nate is a um, you know classic gentleman, <laughs> and they'll just just some of the way they describe. Yeah. They're both very social, and there was a lot of dancing and fine food. Or they'll say <laughs> it's like a book if report if they, for your wedding. If they had a if you know they had the the bridal shower. She got some very lovely gifts. And, you know, she got this and she got this and she got, th- I'm just like, you're putting this. The, wow. the one thing that cracked me up that I have in my favorites Talk about photos, like no privacy. <laughs> that cracked me up, which was my father's uncle. His yeah. name was mentioned in it. It said, 
so-and-so is feeling better now and has gone downstairs to receive visitors. Included were blah, blah, blah. Wow. My great uncle. I couldn't stop laughing. Like this went in the newspaper. Oh my that God. That so-and-so was feeling better. Yeah, feeling and better. And went downstairs. Well, at least he didn't say like he had, you know, diarrhea the- <laughs> before or something. <laughs> and then I've got little clippings that my great-grandmother and two of her daughters drove to Atlantic City for the day. I'm like, well, this made the newspapers? Slow news day but, back then. But that's the fun part. You know, yeah. this is 19... 19- 1910. Yeah. You know, and, that kind of thing. God, compared to what we have now, I would love to have that kind of a news. And day, you see right? the and you see the ads, yeah. you know, it'll have, you know, furniture or groceries or things like that. And you go, 10 cents for eggs. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. You know? right. Well, see, and think about all the people who kept complaining about when Twitter was was becoming mainstream and and people would say, I don't I don't care what you had for lunch. I don't care what you had for lunch. And then there's like the foodie Twitter where that's all people would post was what they had for lunch, you know? I mean, it's kind of a callback to those simpler times where that was news. That was considered newsworthy. Isn't that fascinating? You know, it's also interesting because if the you're looking you can learn. up newspaper articles in the 1940s, if you look on page one, because, because when you're looking something up, it'll say, you know, New York Times, page seven, mm-hmm. because your search parameter might have been, you know, Joe Smith. But if you go to page one, you can see, you know, Hitler said, blah, 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 or mm-hmm. the World War II happening over in Europe. So you can mm-hmm. see all these articles mm-hmm. in real time, basically. Mm-hmm. Wow, so what, a, what a way to get your news. Go, That's yeah, history. you'll say, FDR is the president, and you see these different things. What did I say? Something like, President Herbert Hoover. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like this house I lived in at one time. Uh, it was very, very old, and it was built in the 1800s. And it was very, oh, talk about personality. It's so much personality. And in the basement, it was kind of one of those things where if these walls could talk, you know, like what, mm-hmm. what would they say? What kind of stories would they tell? And I used to love going down into the basement as dirty as it was, you know, it was just a dirt floor and it was very old. Uh, but that's where our washing machine was. And mm-hmm. uh, there was this big uh, cabinet. And from what I could tell, whoever had lived there must have been a shoemaker or a shoe repair person, right? It must have been, that was his workshop or something. I mean, there was really old stuff. Like there was a, there was a mousetrap that had, that had had cheese on it at one time and it never caught any mice because the cheese was just in powder form. (laughs) It had disintegrated. That's how old it was and how long it sat there. You know, I mean, you would think of that as like dirty and unkempt, but it was just very, very interesting to, to find these things. And so inside of this cabinet where I guess we ended up storing like our laundry detergent and stuff, I found these old tools and lined on the shelves were old newspapers. And they were so old that they were starting to kind of crystallize. You know, yeah, they were yep. so they were so um, so thin and so old. And I so I carefully pulled out one of the pages and on it was uh, pictures and it talked about when Truman's daughter got married and with the whole, all the coverage was about her wedding. And I just thought, wow, this is so cool. Like I could just go down there while I'm doing my laundry and just read the newspaper from, yeah, you know, the 1900s. And, oh, it's really cool. Really cool. I love old stuff like that. But that's yeah. just, that's just it is like, when are our kids ever going to have that interest? Like right now you say they, they don't care. They just don't care. 
but here I am, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50 and I really care. I've always cared about that kind of stuff. I just haven't had the time to sit down and really dig into it. Yeah, and there's and no such thing as just saying, like I've said to my husband, there's no such thing as just saying, give me 15 minutes. Do right. anybody writing 15 minutes? Just give me 15 minutes. I want to check this one thing. <laughs> this one thing. There's, there's no such thing. last words. Because what happens on Ancestry, you start building your tree mm. and then it gives you hints, assuming mm. you're a paid member. It starts right. giving you hints. Like an algorithm. Says, hey, she said that Joe Smith is her grandfather and Mary Jones is her grandmother. I've got these hints about Mary Jones. And mm. then you click on it and then you determine, is this my Mary Jones or is it somebody else's? Oh and it could be- What a rabbit mar- It could be marriage license. It could be her social security death index. It could be a link to her obituary in the newspaper. <laughs> it could be a link to find a grave where it has her burial information. It's like hunting for it, treasure, it sounds like. It just goes on and on. And then you say, Mary Jones, and then you find out, well, she's the daughter of, you know, Bob and Sue Jones. Oh, there's my great-grandparents. So then mm. you add to the tree, Bob and Sue Jones. And then you find the, the 1900 census. Mm. And it says, Bob and Sue Jones, daughter Mary, son Bill. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that my grandmother had siblings. Wow. And it just goes on and on and on. That's really cool. <laughs> Sounds like fun. And I sit there <laughs> clapping my hands yeah. going, yay, this is so cool. And everybody around me like, ho-hum. My, you, like my you know brother what you are? doesn't care. You're a treasure hunter. That's what it is. And when I die, this dies with me. Goonies never say die. <laughs> and on that note, I think we should wrap it up. We're not dying, but we should, we should wrap, wrap it up. Yes. So, Melissa. If people would like to get in touch with us, how would they do so? We have a variety of ways. You can head on over to our website, the Geekiest Show. Well, it's not that. It's the, it's Geekiest Show Ever, just geekiestshowever.com. And there is a contact tab that you can click on. You could email us. Our email address is podcast at geekiestshowever.com. We'd really love you. We'd really love it if you would contact us and send us your questions and comments. Uh, even if you want to send us an audio, we'll consider dropping it into the next show. So send us a kind of like a voicemail, you know, like like old school voicemail. You can also follow us on social networks. Where are we on the socials? On Mastodon, we are at Geekiest Show Ever at techhub.social. We are, um, I am, I should say, at senseidai at macedon.social. Yeah. Melissa is at the Mac Mommy everywhere. Everywhere, even on Mastodon and on threads. Yeah, I just haven't gotten into threads. So I like it. You we'll just check it out. We'll, we'll stick with Mastodon. So, on that note, I want to say thank you so much for listening. We will be back again in a couple of weeks. And until then, please stay safe.